going to start a new series beginning this year that we're going to call School of Hope. So you're all in the School of Hope. And uh, to start this off, we're going to go back to the book of Genesis, chapter 12, story of Abram, who later on is renamed Abraham. But uh, let me read for you Genesis 12, verses 1 through 9. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went, and as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, and all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree at, of Morah at Shechem. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued toward the Negev. Let's pray for a minute. Father God, thank you for giving us another year to enter into together. We get that sense that all things are new. There is the ability either in our habits or in our scheduling or in our outlook or our spiritual development to treat this as a new start, uh, a new beginning that allows us to trace progress and to move forward. And we thank you for uh, the calendar Thank you for uh, just the mental trick that this seems to provide in allowing us to uh, either get healthier or get wiser or to draw nearer to you. Thank you for new starts. Thank you for the new start that your grace constantly provides us day after day. We ask that you would uh, grant us the ability to grow closer to you, that as we meet here, we wouldn't just check church off the list, or get the church hour over with, but that in the course of singing praises to you, in the course of, course of reading your word, in the course of discussing what it means in our world, in our time, that you would draw near to us as we draw near to you. That we would have the sense of being able to talk to you, knowing that you hear and you listen, and that sometimes, if you're quiet enough, if we're quiet enough, your voice whispers to us, or you give us a nudge, or you confirm a decision that's forming in our minds. Very simply, knowing you are Lord, we all together ask that you would direct our lives, and that you would grant us wisdom from on high regarding the hard decisions we have to make or the choices that are before us. And we ask that you would continue your work in our lives. Lord, hear us as we get 
quiet for a moment in this room and silently we all whisper our prayers to you and start off this new year together this way. Lord, we pray for the people who are sitting in front of us, the people who are sitting behind us, the families who are here together, those who've come alone. We ask that you would make us into one spiritual family, that you would increase our love and appreciation for Jesus and in increasing our love for Jesus, that you would increase our ability to love each other openly, joyfully, unreservedly, in ways that begin to transform our habits and behaviors, and in ways that make us attractive to those who don't know that kind of grace or that kind of fellowship. And guide us now as we look into your word. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know if you've noticed this, but we all need hope. There were four ladies in a nursing home one time that were sitting there and talking when the nurse brings in a new man to the facility. He was quite dapper for an older man, and one of the ladies asked him uh, where he had been for so long. The man responded by saying that he'd been in prison for 25 years for killing his wife. <laughs> Hearing that, one of the ladies perked up, smiled, and said, So, you're single then. <laughs> <laughs> this morning, we're, we're beginning a new series to kick off this new year of 2019, and we're going to start by asking God to renew our sense of, uh, our sense of and ability to engage in hope. So today's focus is on hope's foundation. What is our Christian hope, what is biblical hope based on? Now, who cares about the concept of hope? Well, it turns out there's a variety of people who do. A collection of philosophers, religion researchers, and social scientists are all studying this elusive concept of hope. So the Hope Optimism Science Advisory Board recently awarded roughly $1.4 million in funding for new research that leads to a greater understanding of the sources and impact of hope. Isn't that interesting? The, the scientific community, the medical community, they want to understand the power of hope and how it impacts patients when they deal with catastrophic illnesses or, or tough diagnoses. InsideHigherEd.com is investing time and energy into the hypothesis that hopeful students are more successful in college. So, so people at the university level want to understand hope. And another group called the Hope Project is researching what they call, quote, the hope barometer, unquote. They're trying to measure and increase hope within organizations, cities, and other groups of people. The Hope Project defines hope this way, an engaged desire for an achievable but always uncertain goal. That's an interesting definition of hope. An engaged desire for an achievable but always uncertain goal. In other words, when you're hoping for something, 
the outcome isn't necessarily guaranteed. Here's the big idea that I want to chase this morning. Acting with hope based on God's character involves us in God's unfolding story of redemption. When we act in hope toward God, because of who we know God to be, he enfolds us into something that's much, much bigger than our own lives, and it has to do with this great redemptive arc of God through history. So the first question we have to deal with is, what is hope? For most people, hope is synonymous with wishful thinking. For Bob Lee, hope is, I hope we get more snow this year so that I can melt snow at Logan Airport. Bob's the only guy who has to be praying for hope. He's raising his hand right now in the back of the room. Only guy who has to be praying for hope all year long because he's got the contract for melting the snow at the airport. It's a good day when the rest of us are snowed in. It's a good day for Bob. For Miss America candidates, uh, our simple hope is for world peace, however that happens. You know the movie, Miss Congeniality. Or when Patriots fans say, I hope that Tom and Bill get ring number six this year. That doesn't mean it's going to happen. It doesn't mean we have any control over that situation. But it's this kind of wishful thinking that we engage in. Biblical hope is not at all like wishful thinking. We see it in these two verses that open chapter 11 of the New Testament's letter to the Hebrews. There, Hebrews says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. So right away we see there's a connection between faith and hope, but it also brings us into that unknown realm where hope is tied to things that we can't see yet with certainty, even though there's some kind of inner conviction that moves us forward. And faith and hope were things that the ancients, meaning the heroes of old that are written about in the letter to the Hebrews, were commended for. I don't know about you, but somewhere along the way in life, I want to be commended for the things that the great heroes of faith in the past were commended for. I want my faith and my hope to look something like theirs, which would tell me that I'm on the right track rather than trying to create my own path. Hope is the content that is energized by faith that our God keeps his word. So faith and hope go hand in hand. Faith is the decision or determination to keep trusting God. Hope is that inner orientation to keep believing that even though things don't necessarily work the way we want in this world, that nevertheless God is working through those events and through our lives. Does that make sense to you? Do you remember a politician named Vaclav Havel? Probably very few do, but maybe there are a couple who do. Havel was a writer, poet, and dissident in Czechoslovakia who was the leader of a dissident group that brought about the end of the communistic regime in that country. Havel ended up serving as the last president of Czechoslovakia from 1989 to uh, 1992, and then as the first president of the new Czech Republic from 1992 to 2003. But prior to that, Václav Havel's participation in pursuing democracy and human rights for his people led to several stints in a federal prison, the longest of them being nearly four years. Knowing that bit of background helps us to better appreciate what 
Pavel had to say about hope. This is how he defined hope. Hope is an orientation of the spirit, an orientation of the heart. It is not the conviction that something will turn out well, but the certainty that something makes sense regardless of how it turns out. I look at a definition like that, and I think, this man was wrestling with God. Because what he was doing was handing over the results to God and saying, even if I die in a prison fighting for the right things that may not come about while I'm here, I trust that even this can be turned into something good, even after I die. That was the message of his life. So with that in the backdrop, we're going to look for a few minutes at this concept of hope's foundation that sort of sets the tone for where we're headed in the next several weeks. The first part of hope's foundation is that God calls. God calls. So we open up Genesis chapter 1 with, with these verses that we read a moment ago. The Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all people on earth will be blessed through you. Abraham, who would later be renamed uh, Abram, who would later be renamed Abraham, receives this amazing call from God. He's an unusual guy who already has a name that literally means in Hebrew a father of a nation, but he's an old man at this time and has no children. And later on, God will tell him, even before a child is born to him, uh, I'm going to change your name, I'm going to make your name Abraham, which means father of many nations. He receives this amazing call from God. The call had two parts, one to be acted on by each party. So the first part was that Abraham was told to leave his homeland, which was somewhere in modern Saudi Arabia, and to go to a distant land that God would tell him about. So this is one of those strange messages from God, saying, I want you to pick up, take everything you have, and leave. You're not coming back. Just head west. I'll tell you when you get there. There's no map. There's no GPS. There's simply trust on God. And God will say at one point, stop, you're there. The second part of this arrangement was that if Abram acted on this, God promised that he would render these amazing blessings on Abram and on his descendants. And the reach of God's promise is staggering. He says, all people on earth would be blessed through Abram, through this one man. The word that's actually used there in Hebrew literally means not just all people in a plural sense, but all peoples, meaning people groups or, or uh, ethnic groups, all across the world would be somehow impacted by Abraham's faith and by God's willingness to bless Abram. Sounds like a good deal, doesn't it? Imagine if God said, I'm going to involve you in something that is so much greater than you that literally millions of people will be touched by the way that I bless you and everybody who follows after you. So the first foundation in this whole idea of biblical hope is that we have a God who calls on people. Let's take it to the next level. God calls surprising people. Why does this matter? Well, it's one thing for God to call some man who lived 4,000 years ago. Great, that's history. So what? It's another thing if God calls surprising people because maybe we fit into that. 
Verse 4 says, So Abram went, and the Lord told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. Let's break that down a little bit. I want that to sink in, what we just read. We learn a few details about Abram in this verse. First, he lived in a place called Haran, which was part of a desert community, today in what is an Islamic nation. Abram also was 75 years old. We learn that he was married because we find out a few verses later that his wife Sarai came with him. Sarai would also have her name changed as well by God later on. She would become Sarah. So anybody here who's named Sarah, you're probably named after this woman. And Abram has an undefined amount of possessions and people who belong to his household. So he not only moves, but he takes his nephew with him. He takes his servants with him. You get the sense that this guy is already somewhat wealthy and somewhat blessed. But there's one thing that is not listed. He does not have any children of his own, 75 years old. By the way, Sarah's about 10 years younger. She would have been 65 at this point. We know all this because his nephew, nephew Lot is mentioned And later we find that Abram and Sarai had not been able to have children on their own and that they were well beyond childbearing years. Sounds like a good setup for a miraculous story, like the one we just celebrated at Christmas, right? Where uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth are told they're going to have a son. That becomes John the Baptist, the forerunner to the coming of the Messiah. Notice what Genesis does not tell us about Abram. It doesn't say that he was the most successful man of the region. It doesn't say that he was the most faithful or religious person in the region. It doesn't say that Abram was a particularly righteous man by his own efforts. In fact, through later chapters in this book of Genesis, we will learn that Abram doubted God's ability to protect him and his family, that he passed off his wife as his sister twice, that got them in very thorny situations, that he was unfaithful to Sarai, resulting in a child with someone else, her servant girl, that Sarai ended up resenting greatly. He is not a model of consistency. You know what that means for us? That God can call and use people who are over the hill in order to bless the world today. That God calls and blesses people who have broken and messed up life stories that God isn't looking for people who are perfect in their own eyes or in our eyes or in everyone else's eyes because he he qualifies the unqualified in order to accomplish his purposes. It means that there is not one person in this room this morning who is too old, too young, has too much baggage, who's too tall, too short, too fat, too unsuccessful for God to use if we accept his challenges. I don't know about you, but when I I think about that and I think down those lines, I start to get excited. I don't know what God is going to do in 2019. I don't know whom God will use to do great things in 2019. I don't know whose prayers he will answer in some surprising way. I don't know how he will use me, and I don't know how he will use you, but I do know that we have a God who calls, and we have a God who calls surprising people. Hope rises from the knowledge that our God calls and that our God calls surprising people. So it should not surprise us that the Bible includes a list of surprising people 
who God called and then worked through in amazing ways. Just think of a few of these people that would be on this very long list. Moses, who had fled Egypt as a murderer before God called him. Naomi, a widow who had given up all hope that God would ever bless her life. Abigail, who was married to a man whose name means fool and who acted like a fool and who nearly got himself killed by David the warrior. Jacob, who cheated his brother and tricked his father and barely got out of town alive. Hosea, who had a marriage that was plagued by unfaithfulness. Jonah, the prophet who ran away because his heart was so full of hatred toward the very people that God wanted to send him to in mercy. Saul of Tarsus, who rounded up Christians and threw them in jail, then had this amazing encounter with the risen Jesus and ends up writing half of the New Testament. And then there's Peter, who walked on water, and then a short time later denied even knowing Jesus, when a servant girl just asked him if he was one of the followers who'd been seen with Jesus. I believe if God can use people like that, and if their, their stories are recorded in Scripture and great things happen through all of them, God can use you. God can use me. God can surprise us all with what he wants to do in this next year. Acting in hope based on God's character involves us in God's unfolding story of redemption. Let's take this to a third level. God enfolds people who say yes to his plans. This is an amazing reality about God, but he enfolds people who simply say yes. So we read in Genesis 12, 4, Abram went as the Lord had told him. In other words, he simply obeyed, and Lot went with him. He was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. Genesis 15, 6, one verse says, Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. Now, Abram's an interesting guy. He never built a great business. He never started a school. He never built a cathedral to impress God where millions would be worshipped. He did one thing. He said yes. Think of, the, some of the, think of some of the amazing people who have said yes to God that we read about. We just celebrated uh, Mary a few weeks ago. Mary of Nazareth said yes when she was told of God's plan to save the world through her son who would come into her body even though she wasn't married and she hadn't known Joseph yet in the biblical way. Moses, after questions at the burning bush, said, yes, I'll go back to Egypt. Rahab said, yes, as the people of Israel approached the walled city of Jericho and all the leaders in her city were trembling in fear, she said yes to hiding two spies Isaiah said yes when God was looking for someone who would dare to speak a word of truth to the king. Peter, despite his later failures, said yes when Jesus asked him to throw his nets over to the other side of the boat after he'd been fishing all night long and had caught nothing. And doubting Thomas said yes when Jesus asked him to observe and even to touch the wounds in his hands and his side. Because Abram said yes to God, there are a whole bunch of things that begin to flow out from his story. 
Abram was enfolded into the great redemptive story of God's work in this world, and he becomes our forefather in faith. That's what the New Testament calls him. God's plan to bless every people group in the world was put in motion because Abram said yes. When God renewed his promise to Abram, which is recorded in Genesis 15, Abram believed God, took him at his word, God saw Abram's faith, and he counted it as righteousness. This becomes the formation, the pattern for how God works. He doesn't ask us to fix our lives and to purify our lives and then bring ourselves and all of our goodness to him so he can approve and say, finally, you brought yourself up to this level. I will accept you and I will bless you. Rather, what he does, he says, I take your faith and I count that as the righteousness that you can't possibly live up to in your own life. And he gives us the righteousness of Christ instead. Not as our own, but as an alien righteousness that falls upon us when we simply say, okay, God, you have to do what I am incapable of doing, and I will trust that you can do this. And a line of descendants began that led all the way to, the, to Jesus. Every time that someone said yes to God in the past, they were enfolded into this surprising master plan of God. And every time someone says yes to God today, they are enfolded into his great redemptive work to spread his glory and his grace throughout the world. Question. What would happen as we begin this new year together, this year of 2019 together, if we all said yes to Jesus this year? Yes, Lord, I will love God and love my neighbors with all my heart, soul, and strength. I'll do my best to throw myself into that project. Yes, Lord, I will open my heart in order to make North River a place of grace and community. I, in other words, I won't just sit here in a service and, and let it go by me. I will open my heart to react to what you are teaching us. Yes, Lord, I will open my home so that deep, rich fellowship extends outward and doesn't stop at the church doors when we leave on Sunday. I love the way the early church is described in Acts chapter 2, that they couldn't get an, enough of each other. They were in and out of each other's homes. They were encouraging each other and speaking truth and speaking scripture to each other day in and day out. And the people in the communities around them were amazed at what they saw in the life of the church where these people who didn't formally belong to each other and weren't part of the same genetic families became a spiritual family that was so powerful that this supposed persecuted church within 300 years became the largest dominant religious force the world has ever known. Yes, Lord, I will open my life to a discipling or mentoring group where I can be intentional about growing in faith. Yes, Lord, I will open my calendar, creating room to serve my church and serve my community, both, not either or, but both. Yes, Lord, I will open my mouth to offer my faith story here in the congregation or to carve out a friendship with my neighbor or my coworker, slowly earning the right to tell that friend about the way you have poured your grace and your mercy and your hope into me. Yes, Lord, I will open up my private thoughts by joining a team to pray for our mission, knowing that when I pray with a group, my thoughts are exposed. Yes, Lord, I will open my hands to give however you lead me to resource your work 
wherever that takes place. Yes, Lord, I will take the next step in spiritual development, starting today. This is my year to join a small group Bible study. This is my year to get baptized and to publicly declare my faith in Jesus. This is my year to take that class that I've been putting off. This is my year to get my finances in order so that I can become a principled giver. This is my year to say yes to whatever God's Spirit has been tugging at me and nagging at me to take on or to do. Here's what I know. Whenever you and I say yes to God, we are enfolded into the mystery of whatever God has planned next. What town or what community will be blessed because North River people said yes this year, I will pray beyond my own needs, I will pray beyond my own church's needs, I will pray about how our church can bless the people outside of our fellowship, outside of our walls, so that North River begins to make a huge difference to people who don't yet know who we are. What friend or neighbor will come to faith in Jesus and stand up here like Ron did this morning because somebody here said yes this year? What personal story will be altered because we say yes to Jesus in 2019? Isn't that good? I don't know about you, but I get fired up just thinking about stuff like that. I couldn't wait to get here this morning because we were going to talk about saying yes to Jesus and the implications of where that might lead because I don't know what God is going to do with that suggestion. And that's thrilling. We'll take this up one more level. Coming back to hope. Hope moves us forward even when the goal is a long way off. That's the amazing thing about hope. Hebrews chapter 11 in the New Testament tells us a little bit about Abraham. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and as countless as the sand on the seashore. Hope is what kept moving Abraham forward. In the land of promise, even though he was an outsider and treated like a stranger in the land that would one day belong to his descendants. He lived in tents the rest of his life, knowing that he wouldn't see that all unfold and take place before he died. His faith was in God's character. His hope was the orientation that kept him going, that some way, somehow, God would make sense of all this, that God will fulfill his promise Where does biblical hope come into play in our lives together today? Here are a handful of scenarios that call for hope. Hope is what keeps you serving an ungrateful neighbor on a cold, snowy day. I know you don't think that's possible, but Bob is still praying for snow, and he has us praying for snow, too. Hope is what keeps you praying 
for a wayward child when it seems that all hope is lost and that child has no interest in hearing you talk about the difference God has made in your life, but we keep praying anyway. Hope is what keeps you as a senior or veteran Christian standing at your post, even in those days when it seems like those who follow after you have abandoned the faith that you knew. It's the hope that someone will be benefited by you staying at your post. Hope is what allows us to reassess and change direction when the culture around us shifts and new strategies and core Christian habits are called for. That's the kind of day we live in today, where our culture is shifting around us. What will be the answers that make us effective in the way that we pursue our mission over the next 10 years. And hope is what compels us to call out to God to break through and to work through us even more powerfully than before. I know this. Acting with hope based on the character of God allows us to be involved in how God's story is going to continue to unfold through the years. So I want to leave you with one question, and it's, it, it's a troubling question. It's a good question, though. What does God want you to say yes to this year? Another way of asking the same question is, what will you say yes to this year? 2019 is going to be great if we're all saying yes to God in some way. That's my Let's pray. Father God, thank you for allowing us not only to read about stories of people who lived by faith in the past, but you give us enough so that we can lift out the lessons and apply them in our world. I pray that you will restore our hope in powerful ways in surprising ways. I pray that you will continue to call on all kinds of people to take on some role that matters to you or to step forward in a new stage of spiritual growth and spiritual development this year. I pray that you will fill the North River Fellowship with a powerful sense of hope that if we dare once again to believe that you are a God who keeps his word, that as we pour ourselves into the things that you have already called us to, that you will act with greatness again. And we pray these things in Jesus' mighty name, looking forward in hope. Amen. Let's start out our year in faithfulness and generosity to God. We get a whole new start. I'm going to call on our ushers. Uh, some of you give online and uh, the various technolo technological ways we can do that. Some of you give here, and thank you for however you support North River. We've got one final song we're going to sing. Thanks for leading today, and uh, we'll, we'll see you next Sunday.